0: of Godly People, and we've been doing that for five weeks. We started on Mother's Day by accident by talking about the power of a godly woman, and that just sort of led to a whole series, and we'll conclude it today with the power of a godly man. There's a lot of good guys, but godly guys. And I have to be upfront, this is actually a relatively short message because I wrestled with this one this week. I love to preach on Father's Day. I love talking about manhood. I, I am a man, and I love men. And frankly, I like being a man, and I don't apologize for being a man, right? I'm, I'm one of those. So I love talking about manhood, you know? But I struggled with this message, and I kind of think that that's because there's just a short word for us guys, and then what we want to do is pray over you. We want to pray over you men that you be the man of God that Jesus died for you to be. And so that's what we're going to do. So be prepared, ladies. I'm going to be calling upon you to be blessing our men in prayer in a little bit. There's nothing more powerful on earth than a man who has stopped living for himself. I'll say it again. There's nothing more powerful on earth than a man who has stopped living for himself. A man who has found that life in Christ is greater than life anyplace else. That's the man that every woman dreams of marrying. That's the man that every boss would love to hire. That's the man that every church would welcome and whom every child would love to call dad. That is a godly man, the man who has stopped living for himself. We already know that men can make a profound difference in a home. The statistics prove it. It's not even news, it's been around for a long time. The verdict is in. Dads make a huge difference. I want you to look at these stats. I just cherry picked a few of them out of this book called Father Facts 7. This book was put out by a group called the National Fatherhood Initiative. And so that's where this is all taken from. But dads truly do make a difference. Look, first of all, the the sad news in terms of what our homes are like in America these days. 23.6% of children in America lived in a home with no father in 2014. Mississippi is the highest state with father-absent homes at 36.2%. And Utah is the lowest state with father-absent homes at 11.5%. So the national average is 23.6. And that was the U.S. Census Bureau, 2015. So that's pretty new stats. That's sad. That's like a third. I mean, in Mississippi, more than a third of the homes lack a father in the home. And almost a quarter of our homes in America. It's tragic. So what kind of results happen? Children living in female-headed homes with no spouse present have a poverty rate of 47.6%, which is over four times the rate of poverty amongst children living in married couple homes. That's from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. I'm not making this up. It's coming out of our government offices. Children with involved fathers experience fewer behavior problems and score higher on reading achievement tests. Here's another stat. Children from father-absent homes are 279% more likely to deal drugs than their peers living with their fathers. Another stat, students in a father-absent home are twice as likely to repeat a grade in school. Children born to single mothers show higher levels of aggressive behavior than children born to married mothers. That's the Journal of Marriage and Family. Teen girls without fathers are seven times more likely to get pregnant as an adolescent. And even obesity factors in. The National Longitudinal Study of Youth found that obese children are more likely to live in father-absent homes than are non-obese children. So it's clear that dads make a difference in the home. Why do dads make such a huge difference in a home? Well, I believe it's the way God designed it. He intended for men and women to play different roles, to each serve different purposes, and when the two come together, it's a marriage, so to speak, right? And it works. It's the way God intended for it to work. Men are not supposed to be women. Women are not supposed to be men. We're supposed to be how God made us. And when we work it together, it works beautifully. I believe that's why. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. Men are intended to be the head. Notice the husband is not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the church. But the text here doesn't equate the husband to the Savior. The text equates the husband as the head. Jesus is the head. The husband is the head. Jesus is the Savior. The husband's not the Savior. Let's keep that clear. So what does it mean then when the Bible says that a man is the head of his home? It actually doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means. We tend to think of it as the boss or the king of the castle, the guy that sits in his armchair and barks orders at his family all day long. That's, That's not what headship means. The word head in the Bible here, this translated head, it's a military word. It refers to the guy in the front of the platoon. In our modern warfare, we don't really have this as much, but in the Vietnam War, it was pretty clear. In the Vietnam War, they had what they called point men. And a platoon would work its way through the jungle in an arrowhead formation, and the guy at the front was called the point man, and his job was to basically clear the way, kind of be a scout, make sure everything was clear, And if he didn't die, the rest of the platoon was okay. Yeah, it's the truth. So in the home, we're called the head. He's the point man by God's design. It means that if I don't get shot, I can lead my family safely. It means that I'm the one that's in the front. I I lead the way. I clear the way. I provide defense, I run defense for my family, I run protection for my family, I, I, I care for my family with provisions, right? I'm the guy in the, in the head, and if I don't get shot, my family's okay. So I say, ladies, if you want to get shot at, have at it. But God intended for the man to be the one who is the head of who runs point, who blocks for the family. And I'd say, ladies, if you have a man who serves you and your family well, if you have a faithful man, if you have a noble man, he's not perfect, but he loves Jesus and he loves you and he strives and works for the best things in your home, then honor him thank god for him he's a gift isaiah 32 verse 8 it says that the noble man makes noble plans and by noble deeds he stands by itself the verse is very inspiring it's so inspiring that we put it on a coffee mug and guys you have a gift for you on your way out the door there's a you might have seen the mugs on your way in that's a mug that's the man's mug right there. So I give you men permission, take it home, put it in your cabinet. That's the man's mug, and only you are allowed to drink from that mug in your cabinet, okay? <laughs> so you can take that. That's your Father's Day present, but it's not just for fathers. It's for any guy. We want any guy to have it, young or old, take, take a man's mug home with you, and be reminded of this scripture verse when you drink from it. A noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. So the verse by itself is very inspirational, but what's the context of the verse? Would you go with me to Isaiah 32, verses 6 through 8? I'd like to just look at the context briefly, because it's, it makes the verse pop even more when you see it nested in its context. So Isaiah chapter 32 I'll start with verse, actually verse 5 I see here, it works well. No longer will the fool be called noble, nor the scoundrel be highly respected, for fools speak folly, their hearts are bent on evil, they practice ungodliness and spread error concerning the Lord. Isn't that interesting, a fool spreads error concerning the Lord, they The hungry they leave empty, and from the thirsty they withhold water. Scoundrels use wicked methods. They make up evil schemes to destroy the poor with lives, even when the plea of the needy is just. But the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. So now you see the contrast, now you see the context. A noble man is contrasted with a fool and a scoundrel. These two bad guys, who are they? Who's the fool? Who's the scoundrel? In the in the text, the fool literally means a vile person. He's corrupted. In verse 6, what do, what do we see about him? Well, look, he's got a foul mouth. He speaks folly. He has a heart bent on evil. He's just thinking about it. He's got a dirty mind, basically. He practices ungodliness, so... He's just somebody that, he doesn't do things that are worthy of praise. And then on top of that, spreads error concerning the Lord. So he's spouting off about God in in ways that just make him look like an idiot. He, He misrepresents God. Do you see a lot of people these days who misrepresent God? They don't even know what they're talking about. I love I love being in conversation with people that have a real attitude about God and they start mouthing off about it and then I just say, have you ever read the Bible? Most of them haven't. It's amazing. They just spout off stuff they've heard. That's a fool. Spreads error concerning the Lord. And not only, Matt, do they leave the hungry empty, they don't take care of the thirsty. The scoundrel, what kind of guy is that? The scoundrel is... Really no different, he's equally as bad. The word for scoundrel is translated as deceitful or knavish. I kind of like that word, knavish. Everybody say knave. It just sounds bad, you knave. I like that. It's kind of an old English word. That's the scoundrel, he's a knave. The scoundrel has wicked methods, it says. In other words, he lies, he cheats, he looks for loopholes, he'll take advantage of you. He always does what he thinks is best for himself without thought for how his actions might affect others. He's a scoundrel. Obviously, the fool and the scoundrel are not good guys. They're not godly guys. But the noble man is placed in contrast with him. You see that in the text? So now you know a little bit more of what a noble man is. A noble man is not those things. Does that make sense? So the noble man, if you put those things into the positive, right? The noble man is a person who's not corrupted. The noble man is a man who has a clean mouth. The noble man is a man who has a clean mind. The noble man is a man who lives a godly life, who properly represents God. That's the noble man. A noble man is someone that won't take advantage of you. He doesn't look for loopholes. He's an honest man, a man of integrity, right? That's the noble man. And it also says this about the noble man in verse, verse 8. A noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. In other words, he's a man that not only has good ideas, but he has good follow through A lot of guys have good intentions. The noble man actually has good actions, right? There's a lot of Christian men that would say, I really want to pray with my family. I really want to read the Bible with my family. It's a great intention. A noble man carries it out, actually does it. A noble man has the good deeds to back up the good intentions. That's a very key trait of the noble man. You know him by his good actions. Acts chapter 22, here's a couple of biblical examples. Acts chapter 22, verse 12. It says that Ananias was a godly man deeply devoted to the law. Do you notice what stood out about him as a godly man? He was deeply devoted to the law. You see the action? He, he wasn't just a noble man in Name, he was a noble man who was deeply devoted to God's law. Okay, here's another example. Noah, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. You see that? So Noah, not just righteous in name, wasn't, didn't just have the label, didn't just wear the t-shirt, But he actually walked blamelessly. He had a reputation for blameless living amongst the people of his time. And he walked with God. So there were two things that were told about Noah. The point is simply this, that a noble man, a godly man, is not just godly in theory. He's godly in practice. You know a godly man by what he does. And not just by what he says. We already know the power of a good man. I just read the statistics earlier, right? They prove a good man can accomplish a lot in his home and in society. If that's what a good man can do, can you imagine what a godly man can do? What a man who has given himself over to the Lord can do? As we said, there's nothing more powerful than a man who has stopped living for himself. The home is probably where I sin the most. Because home is where I let my guard down. Home is where I'm the most real me. Because when I'm outside of the home, I'm typically on my very best behavior. Right? Is that true of you? It is of me. And so I go home and ching, I don't have to act anymore, the real Doug comes out. Therefore, men, home is where revival must begin. We've been praying for revival in the church, right? For all these years, been praying for it, seeking God for it, asking for it. But guys, if revival the revival cannot be sustained in the church if it's not sustained in our homes. It starts there. So this message really is a call for the godly men of New River to claim our place as God's man for the job. A godly man doesn't just make the godly plans, but he actually carries them out. He devotes himself to the task. He he leads his home. He lives his life that honors honoring God in all things without apology, even if he doesn't have much support from other people. Sometimes a godly man stands alone. I have two examples from the Bible of godly men who didn't even have wives that were on board with them. And these verses are not meant to pick on the ladies, right? Hey, we sang your praises at Mother's Day. So that's... These two verses aren't meant to put ladies down at all. I'm just trying to encourage the guys. That's all I'm doing with this. My point is these two guys, you know, they, they, they could have used their wives as an excuse for why they didn't follow God, and they didn't. That's the, that's the point. David, King David, married Saul's daughter. Her name was Michael. And the Bible tells us that she despised David for his relationship with God. Here's what the Bible says, 1 Chronicles 15, 29. When she saw David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. How'd you like to live with a woman that despises you in her heart? David did, and yet he's the man after God's own heart. She may not have shared his love for God, but David loved God anyway. Hosea had it extra tough. Hosea married a woman who was very unfaithful to him and their marriage, and yet he stuck with her. God told him this, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. And so Hosea actually bought his wife back because she had given herself to prostitution. Can you imagine I, the emotion? I read this and I, I just, I can feel this one in my heart. I mean, I am, I'm married to a wonderful, wonderful woman. No is. I'm so thankful for her and the gift that she is. But man, I imagine Hosea. The, first of all, the hurt that he would have felt at his wife being unfaithful to him, Right? Secondly, the shame that he must have felt. My wife is the town prostitute. And then third, God says, now go pay for her and bring her back home. <laughs> Hosea walked in a level of forgiveness and a level of love and a level of self-sacrifice for his wife. I can't even imagine. Can you Hosea, my hero, man. Hats off to that guy. If there was ever a guy that had it tough at home, it was Hosea who had it tough. And yet, he was faithful to his wife, faithful to God. You see, noble men, noble men don't use the excuse that my wife or my family is not on board with my desire for God. Noble men keep their eyes on God, and they stay steady anyway. So a godly man doesn't just make godly plans, but he carries them out, sometimes against the odds. And that's why I feel today that we just need to pray for our guys. That's that's it for the message. That's it. I feel like we have... (laughs) All right, I get a hand clap. We're done. That's not a noble man. That's not a noble man. So we're going to pray for our guys and especially pray for the one that clapped over there for salvation. So we're going <laughs> to. Um, c- could you come and play for us, sweetie? Here's what I'd like to do. Could I have our men, and I want every man, this is not just a Father's Day message, it's a man's day message. So I want every guy, would you stand, please? Because we, we want you to stand. We want to see who you are. We want to be able to get eyes on you. Yep, you can clap for him. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I have said it before, the men in New River, I believe, are some of the finest men around. God has blessed this church with awesome men, men that would lay down their lives, men who serve, men who give, um, men who are talented, men who sacrifice. The, these are great men. So they're worthy of our honor. So what I want to invite you ladies to do right now is if you're near one of those guys, if you're comfortable with it, just put your hand on his shoulder and pray for him. And, uh, and I want to get everybody prayed for. And we're going to pray for two things for our guys today, okay? There's um, we got a couple of guys over here that need a hand. We got a, there we go. See, I'm going to pick on Yeah, there we go. Okay, we got, there we are. Thank you. Good, good, good. I want every guy covered here. Thank you. So we're going to pray two things. The first thing we're going to pray for is this. First, pray that each of these guys has a fresh encounter with God that takes them deeper than they ever thought they could go in their relationship with God. Would you pray that right now? Just go ahead. I'll give you a second to pray that. Lord, please, just give this guy a fresh encounter with you. Rock his world, God. Rock his world. Mm-hmm. Encounter him, Lord. I pray that he would meet you, God. Mm-hmm. Yep, meet you God. And then and then second we're going to pray for God to give strength to this guy. Would you would you, you know, the word encourage means to impart courage. So can you pray courage into these men that you impart them with courage? And so just simply pray for God to strengthen him as a guy. Strengthen him as his man, as a noble man, a godly man. And then, even if the Lord gives you a word right now, I know He is. Some of you ladies, some of you ladies, uh, right now have this thought. If you do, if you've got an encouraging word for him, please give it to him right now. Just whisper it in his ear. Tell him what the Lord's put on your heart to share with him. But pray right now for God to encourage him, impart courage into his heart. Go ahead, ladies. Please feel free. Pray out loud. Pray. Yes, God. Please, God, we pray. Please, Lord. Please, God. Please, God. Yes, God. Hmm. Please, God. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. So now, Lord, as these men stand today, we pray that you would grant each one of them a fresh encounter with Jesus this week. Oh God. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage these men, that you would build them, that you would pour into their hearts an extra measure of strength and courage. Lord, that they would be that they would be men of God without apology. Lord, you've not called men to an easy task. We, It is hard, Lord. You've called us to lay down our lives. You've called us to do that, Lord. That is not easy. I confess, I don't like it. Lord, please, I pray, encourage our men, strengthen our men, empower our men, Lord, to be the men that you've called them to be. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you for these guys, and we pray your best blessings upon them this day. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Can you turn her up a little bit? Before the worship team, or as the worship team comes, let me leave you guys with an an inspiring story. Uh, a a lot of people know President Theodore Roosevelt. He's known for having been a real man's man. This is the guy that says, walk softly, carry a big stick. And he's one of America's favorite presidents, one of our favorite ones in history. And, uh, but he's he's credited as saying this, and I think it illustrates how a godly man is a man of action, and not just talk. This is what, Theodore Roosevelt said he said it's not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better the credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly who errs who comes up short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who actually does strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Theodore Roosevelt said that. The credit goes to the guy in the arena, whether he wins or he fails. The credit doesn't go to the guy who stays in the stands and lobs criticism at how those guys could do it better. It's not surprising, then, that a guy like Teddy Roosevelt would not only lead our nation as one of our favorite presidents but he also raised four sons who dared greatly one of his sons teddy jr was one such man he fought valiantly in world war one and was injured and in fact he spent the rest of his life walking with a cane as a result of the injuries he sustained during world war one world war one ended Teddy Roosevelt Jr. went on to become a statesman, a dignitary, a spokesman, doing a lot of great things. Certainly enjoyed the fame of being the son of the president. But then war broke out again, and the United States entered World War II. So at 56 years of age, Teddy Roosevelt Jr., Re-enlisted. He actually pulled some strings. He used his political weight. He knew some people. And he pulled some strings to allow him back into the military so that he could defend his country in World War II. At 56 years of age, by then he had a heart condition. He had arthritis. He walked with a cane and he led the attack on D-Day that landed boats on Utah Beach. He insisted on fighting with his men and he refused any of the comforts that were afforded to generals. In fact, he was the only general on D-Day to land with his men. He rode one of the boats. And at 56, he was the oldest man to fight in the battle, out of all of them. Their landing craft drifted off course, and they landed a mile south of their objective. They never hit Utah Beach. Teddy was the first man off the landing craft and onto the beach. And we're told that he, with his cane, limped around the beach and surveyed the land. And after surveying the land, came back to his men. And it's reported that General Roosevelt said, gentlemen, We'll start the war from right here. And he went on to lead his men to fight. In fact, they were able to do reconnaissance because because they landed a mile south and they had to work their way to the rest of the troops. They actually managed to do reconnaissance that became very valuable to help win the Allies to win several other battles in the days and the weeks to come. You know, men, we've stood... We've prayed in the presence of Almighty God today. And I don't know how far some of us have drifted off course. Maybe you have. Maybe. But by God, the war starts right here. We start right where we're at. Amen? That's what a noble man does. starts right where he's at noble man makes noble plans and then he starts standing on the noble deeds so God bless you men God has great plans for you the world has yet to see the power of a man who stops living for himself Lord God I thank you for your love for us and I thank you, Lord, for these men. Thank you, God, for, um, man, I, mean, I could go down the list and start naming these guys. Lord, I'm thankful for the sacrifices that they've made, for the way that they lead their families. Thank you, God. So, Lord, we do pray your best blessings upon our men today. And, Lord, we declare the war starts right here right here. Our eyes are on you. We follow your lead. We go where you take us. We do what you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.